This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we continue our adventures in Acts with Forgiveness is Proclaimed to You, Turning to the Gentiles, Signs and Wonders, We Are Men, and Through Many Tribulations. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. Mormonism is a uniquely American religion. Most of us look at it and we think it's kind of quirky, not dangerous, but there's there's something in its theology and the way that it views man, sin, grace, faith, salvation, and Jesus himself that makes it not only dangerous because it does not lead to salvation, but also in this life, soul-crushing. Welcome back to Issues Etc., coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. We're going to be talking about witnessing to Mormons. Pastor John Leach joins us. He's president of Truth in Love Ministry, based in Nampa, Idaho. Truth in Love has produced a new booklet called A Biblical Response to Mormonism. Pastor Leach, welcome. Thanks for having me, Ted. What's the appeal of Mormonism? Mormonism often carries sort of an American spirit. If we think about the idea of if you just pull up your bootstraps, you can achieve anything if you're willing to try hard enough. Well, that is, a, in a spiritual sense, the appeal of Mormonism. I can determine what my final destination will be. What we often see, too, many people are surprised by that, is when the culture has shifted in such a significant way away from biblical Christian morals, Mormonism often stands out because they are so focused on family, on morality. They look very clean cut. As a result, many people who are searching or many people who are maybe have some loose but not very clear-rooted biblical Christian background are often pulled in. Why should we see Mormonism as a culture? Many times people would think about Mormonism as a cult. And you know what? It, it certainly meets all of those concerning theological definitions. And yet what I find is sometimes when we approach it that way, it positions us to think of Mormons as, as our enemies. I think about in Matthew when Jesus saw the crowds, it said his heart went out to them and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. That really is the set of lenses that I think is helpful for us as we go out and then share, you know, go into the harvest fields and reach out. Understanding Mormonism as a culture will make us more curious. So then we'll ask them questions out of curiosity. Tell me more about what you believe. And it has the way of then completely changing the conversation. Instead of treating them as an enemy, we're curious, we want to know more about them as a person, and that often then leads to very productive conversations where we can then be able to share what we believe from Scripture. What is the Mormon plan of salvation? How does it look? Yeah, that's a really great question. If you think about biblical Christianity, we understand God gives salvation. But in Mormonism, it's more of a plan, like a blueprint. It it reminds me of if grandpa had a 
beautiful cabin on the lake. And you were thinking about one day, all the family got together. He pulls you into his office and he says, I've been waiting to give this to you. I have decided I am going to give you the cabin on the lake. And you're just overwhelmed. You can't believe it, right? But instead of pulling out of his drawer a set of keys, instead he gives you a set of blueprints. And the look on your face is just complete surprise, like, wait, what's going on here? And then he says, well, you didn't think I was going to give you this cabin. You have to build your own. That's what Mormons believe God has given them. Jesus came as our example to show us the way, but you have to do it. You have to build it. And as a result, Mormons are never sure where they stand at any given point. They're always thinking, where do I stand on the plan of salvation? A little bit of just the, the details. They believe that there's a preexistence before this life where they are literal children of a heavenly father and a heavenly mother. They believe that they are spirit children that come down into bodies here on earth, a time of testing. They believe there's a spirit world after this life. It's a little different, but some have compared it almost to a purgatory of sorts. They have to continue to progress. They're trying to ultimately become perfect. Many of the things that are done in, in Elias temples are done for people who have already died, but maybe they didn't do enough here on earth. So you're trying to help your ancestors. And then ultimately you face judgment day. And there you go to one of three levels of heaven. The highest kingdom they're trying to reach is the celestial kingdom. And the ultimate goal is to reach the pinnacle of it, which is called exaltation. There, Mormons don't just live with God, but the ultimate goal is to live as gods, where they will then have spirit children of their own and populate their own planet. And the whole process begins all over again. How does Mormonism define grace? Grace for Mormons, and, and it's a, a word that carries some baggage. Of course, it's a, a word we want to communicate clearly, but it often is this picture of an empowering grace. So the picture I often use to help Christians understand this is if you are following the plan of salvation in Mormonism, they're, they're taught you have to cross the finish line on your own two feet. But what God will do is he'll come along, he'll cheer you on the sidelines, and he might even give you an energy drink to help you on your way. That's grace for them. It's that little bit of a boost or a help, but you have to do it all on your own. As a result, sometimes when we're trying to communicate these terms, which is so important, Christians can end up talking past one another. Sometimes I, I run into folks that, that sounds like they are saying the very same thing as I am. But I know that that can't be. Instead, when I try to talk to a Mormon about grace, I'll talk about God's no strings attached love. Everything in Mormonism is conditional love or transactional love. If you speak of God's no strings attached love, they'll lean in with curiosity and want to learn more. We actually have a, on our website a Dictionary of Mormonese, which is a great resource for Christians to better understand what those different terms are and what Mormons believe by them. What is the Mormon understanding of faith? Faith is so often connected with works. One of the ways I, I sometimes break this down is Ephesians 2, right? We often use this when we're trying to communicate that message of 
what he's done for us. And I break it down in, you know, the opening verses, you know, enemies of God in KJV, children of wrath and disobedience. Boy, that really resonates, right? It, it starts with sin, the problem. It moves on to grace, the solution in Jesus. We receive that through faith. We know as Christians, right? And then the result is Ephesians 2.10 works. We then live out a life of thanks. Mormons actually take that in reverse. So they start out with works and then they move on to faith. But their faith is really their trust in their works. They often speak of their faith as a testimony. It's really fideism, a faith in faith itself. It's a mist. It's a vapor. It's a chasing after the wind. You have to just trust, for example, Joseph Smith was a true prophet. The Mormon church is true. And they kind of keep repeating this like a mantra so that if you say it often enough, maybe you'll believe it. So faith in their works, it just inseparable. And then following Ephesians 2 in reverse, they move on to grace. But again, as we mentioned, grace is all about their works. The problem is when, when they take that in reverse and they get to sin, they don't have a solution for it. And so sometimes that can be a helpful way to break that down. You say that Mormonism downplays sin. How is that? Often, if you think about the ultimate goal following this plan of salvation, the whole focus is on your progression, your improvement, your striving. What they'll see sin as is more of a stumbling block, more of, ah, you, you tripped up. That's going to slow you down. Try not to do that. They do not see it typically as a offense against a holy God, because your ultimate goal is not necessarily to become right with God, but to improve yourself. As a result, they'll often speak of mistakes or missteps. And so when it, we talk about sin with Mormons, we talk about, first of all, spreading out like how prevalent sin is. I mean, it's certainly the commandments, but I mean, there's any number of things you could probably say Jesus commanded, like, do not worry. Or scripture says, be content with what you have. I mean, just bring things that are common that everybody could appreciate. Ugh, I struggle with that. Talk about the serious nature of sin. Sometimes I think about it like this. If you punch a neighbor, I mean, don't do that, right? But yikes, punishment probably not so great. If you punch a police officer, same punch, but you probably land at some kind of fine or, or jail, I would suspect. If you end up punching, let's say, for example, the president of the United States, I'm thinking there's probably jail time. That's a federal offense, I'm sure. And, and so you can appreciate the same punch matters who it's against. So if we can help them see the serious nature and the ultimate consequence of sin, wages of sin is death. And we know in that context, eternal death. So help them to see that. And, and most will be shocked by that because they've really never seen sin in that light. So kind of like if you're, if you're telling a, in teachers a, a new mathematical term and you're building off one, they'll go back and review and they're patient. When you're sharing some of these concepts that are going to be new for them, be patient. And don't be afraid to go back and repeat. What then is the focus of Mormonism? Yeah, in that plan of salvation, it's all about improving. They often talk about a parable they use of, of a piano teacher. And in that, they'll say, well, 
God, uh, the way in which he, he views you, it's, it's like if a parent pays for piano lessons for you. You don't have to pay that money back to them, but what you have to do, your part, is to practice. And so they would say, okay, Jesus, what he has done is, they would say has, has saved them, and they mean by that a resurrection. They get, he gets you to the courtroom, but then you're going to have to stand on your own record. And it will matter how much you practiced, how much did you improve, how much did you progress. And so as a result, so often, because it's so self-focused, it either leads to pride, as any performance-based religion would, or it leads to despair, especially when trouble strikes. There are so many who they just think when things are going good, the best are blessed. They think, oh, when things are going bad, the worst must be cursed. And they feel as though God is punishing them, and they often don't know how to fix it. So it can be very, very discouraging. We'll talk about the stresses that Mormonism's teachings put on those who believe it as we discuss Witnessing to Mormons with Pastor John Leach of Truth in Love Ministry next. The fundamental question that these parables ask is this, is it possible for someone who has fallen away from the faith, a baptized child, to be brought to repentance? And the answer is yes, a thousand times yes. It has to be yes. Or I'm damned. And so are you. Pastor Peter Bender speaking at the 2023 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. But if we as earthly parents love our children in spite of the fact that they rebel and maybe wander from home, how much more does the Father's love for us in Christ Jesus never cease? That is the birthright that you and I have been given in our baptism. That is our consolation. You can watch and listen to Pastor Peter Bender's teaching, Making the Case for a Dying Man's Consolation, and all of the presentations from this year's conference for a contribution of $300. It's available via on-demand video stream or podcast. Learn more at issuesetc.org. Casting Christ's net on the internet. You're listening to Issues Etc. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod cares deeply for those who protect our nation. Are you or a loved one currently serving? Ministry to the Armed Forces would like to help. We provide devotional literature to encourage faith. Send your mailing address to lcmschaps at lcms.org or call us at 314-996-1337. Those in uniform are comforted with Psalm 28. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in Him and He helps me. It's commonly said that heresies are 90% truth and only 10% wrong, but it's the 10% that subverts all of Christian doctrine and all of Christian teaching by the essential errors that they promote. Well, if you're wondering about heresies, both ancient and modern, you should pick up a copy of the August issue of The Lutheran Witness, where we talk about these heresies, their ancient roots, and how to mark and avoid them. Visit cph.org witness to subscribe or learn more at our website, witness.lsms.org. Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. talking about witnessing to Mormons. Pastor John Leach, president of Truth and Love Ministry based in Nampa, Idaho, is our guest. Pastor Leach, 
You were talking before the break about the despair. What stresses do Mormon teachings put on those who believe them? Yeah, this is a great thing to focus on. I, I think a lot, a lot of Christians, we, we like to focus on the things that we would like to believe, you know, are important to us about, uh, well, they have additional scriptures or Joseph Smith, or they have a different view of the nature of God. I get why Christians focus on those things. Those things are important to us, but those conversations will be often more productive if we focus on the things that really bother Mormons first. So one example, uh, Mormons are always struggling with forgiveness. Even though they minimize sin, they, they do realize that they, they have fallen short, and they're not always sure how to deal with that. They're taught, kind of like the Old Testament days, that if you became somehow unclean, the way in which you would become clean or, or, or be presented back to the community and right with God, you go to the priest, right? Well, and he would then basically say, yeah, okay, you're clean. He didn't do anything. He just announced it. That's a, a picture of what Mormonism requires. They would say you cannot be forgiven unless you never do that sin again. But if you think about that, like if a person lies, for example, when they're eight years old, and then they lie when they're 10 years old, they're taught that the time when they lied when they're eight years old, I'm being generous here, by the way, they're taught, well, you weren't really sorry because you did it again. Now extrapolate that across a person's entire lifetime and every possible sin, and you can appreciate why Mormons are never sure that they're forgiven. So forgiveness is a stress point. Perfectionism is a stress point. Mormons are taught, emphasized perhaps more than any other Bible passage, be perfect, Matthew 5, 48, as your heavenly father is perfect. And they're taught that God would never give you a command that you could not keep. Think about the impossible pressure that this puts on them. They might try to squeeze out of that. Maybe it means uh, become perfect someday. Maybe it means become mature. But ultimately, the comparison is as your father in heaven. And they know that even if they try and give themselves more time, I don't know about you, that just be even more terrifying. They're going to say, you still have to cross the finish line. You still have to be perfect on your own. And what we find is really speaking about the perfect life of Jesus is so, so important. We can talk about how we have forgiveness in Christ right now, right? Ephesians uh, 1.7. We can talk about how Isaiah 61.10, that we have been covered in the robe of his righteousness. Hebrews 10.14 talks about how he has perfected us. It's in the past tense. It's done because we rely on Christ's perfect record for us. He did it all. Jesus is enough. And as a result, when you, you speak in those terms, we sometimes wear t-shirts where we say, I'm perfect in Christ right now. Ask me how. And boy, do we get a lot of conversations where people ask for more. And uh, finally, another one, maybe Judgment Day. Mormons are terrified of Judgment Day because then they have to stand on their record. And so if you you share as a biblical Christian, boy, I just can't wait till judgment day. And, and isn't that the way God encourages us to view it? Lift up your heads. That's a day of salvation, right? But we know that there's a reason why people will be afraid. Ask for the hills and the mountains that cover them, because there will be an accounting when they stand on their own record rather than Christ's for them. So all the things that Mormonism is trying to gain and strive for are the things we already have. We already have confidence in. So in that vein, what are Mormons taught to believe about those who leave Mormonism? 
Yeah, as you think about that, boy, this is really tough. Once you enter the Mormon church, they're taught by the way, basically everyone goes to one level of heaven or another. And yet, if you leave the Mormon church, it's the one way you can guarantee yourself a ticket to what they call outer darkness, their version of hell. So I, I compare this sometimes like in mission fields, maybe where they have a medicine man and they're afraid to cut the beads. Like I'm, I'm a Christian, but many times Mormons, even after they no longer believe Mormonism, they will struggle to have their name taken off the list because that is such a stigma for them to have them removed from the rolls. They've been told that's the one way you go to hell. So I think it, sometimes we need to have some compassion and, and help them understanding that is nothing at all, but help them to understand that. There are also some other difficulties in leaving Mormonism. They're so tight-knit in community that it's all that they know. It's a, their identity. It's their purpose. It's everything. And so when when the floor drops out, they just don't know how to put those pieces back together many times. One last thing, because Mormonism, you have to reach the celestial kingdom and exaltation. You have to be married to another faithful Mormon. I often encounter folks who will give me a call and they'll say, I no longer believe Mormonism is true. And I am terrified to tell my Mormonism believing spouse because I'm almost certain they'll, they will divorce me. And it happens a lot. Uh, so one of the things I realized might be counterintuitive, I actually, even though they are digging in and, and just like, they want to know everything now to maybe not take a dump truck and share everything all at once with their Mormon believing spouse, but to drop things along the way so that uh, they will continue to have opportunity to share the gospel with them. I have heard stories about very high rates of antidepressant usage among Mormons. Is this true? Yeah, it's often Utah Valley where it's the most highest concentration of Mormonism. We do a lot of mission work, mission trips down there. Love to have folks join us at some point if they're interested. But it's called Happy Valley for a reason. It's some of the highest used. I think of the perspective of trying to be perfect inwardly behind the, the mask. There is is so much pain, but you can't let it anyone see that. As a result, you try and pretend you're happy. You try and pretend everything's going well. It's antidepressants. It's plastic surgery. There's a higher per capita rate of plastic surgery in Salt Lake City than Los Angeles. All kinds of, of struggles. Uh, Utah is some of the highest for depressant and major mental illness that goes untreated because they don't feel like they can share their struggles. One of the things that a Christian can often do is just be authentic and, and share your struggles. Like, like, don't be sensational, but just share, you know, do you ever struggle with this? And suddenly you would be like a release. I often compare Mormonism to like a, a pressure cooker, but it's got no release valve. And they just keep turning up the heat, try harder and keep improving, keep striving. And when they find someone who's just authentic and transparent and real. They are so attracted to that because they're looking for that and they won't find it in Mormonism. What are the sources of authority for Mormons? Yeah, they believe in ongoing revelation. And so in addition to the Bible, and they do believe, uh, use the King James 
version of the Bible, Joseph Smith made uh, all kinds of corrections. So there's a Joseph Smith translation. Um, sometimes they might have notes in their Bible about that. But hey, at the end of the day, they say, no, that is finally not our Bible. Our Bible is the King James Version. So we have a common ground that we can use and keep going back to that. If you have interactions with them, just say, I know you've got other scriptures, but let's just focus on the one that, that we can both believe to be true. Unfortunately, they do believe that it is only has some unclarity. Uh, they, they would say it's some plain and precious truths are now missing. And as a result, they lean into some of their additional scriptures. So they use the Book of Mormon. They'll use Doctrine and Covenants, which really, uh, Book of Mormon is more of the stories and kind of laying the foundation for some of their teachings. But really, most of their exotic teachings are found in Doctrine and Covenants. And then another smaller book, Pearl of Great Price. They also believe that the president of the LDS Church is a living prophet. And so he, almost like in a sense, like a Pope, he can speak new ongoing revelation that he receives from God. And as a result, they believe that anything that he would speak could supersede some of their scriptures. So how do we approach a Mormon we may know with God's word? Yeah, I always think sometimes Christians would say, I don't know Mormonism. And I, I just want to say first, you know what God has done for you. You don't have to be an expert on Mormonism. Trust in the power of God's word. Remember, right, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of salvation for everyone who believes, right? Romans 1.16. Some passages that I would go to, I spend some time in Romans 3. Really dig into the problem of sin. I think they're going to be stunned to see 3.12. There is no one who does good, not even one. Like that's their ultimate goal. And just take that away. Romans 3.20, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. That's exactly what they're trying to do. Go on to the, the, the next verse, right? Beautiful transition. But now a righteousness apart from the law has been made known through faith in Christ Jesus. Take him to Galatians. Just the, the beautiful pictures there of it is no longer based on you. In Galatians 5, in fact, if you would add to grace, you would alienate Christ and you would lose him completely. Maybe Romans eleven six. if they're talking about faith and works, it's a common conversation. Really help them to see by adding anything to grace, you ruin it. I sometimes think about like a picture of a, you receive a masterpiece, like a Rembrandt picture and, and then you paint a little flower in the corner. You just ruined it. One of the things we sometimes talk about in these terms, if if there's a checklist, and boy, do they think about things in checklists, how long is your list? And help them to see from scripture, Jesus checked the box. And why would I ever want to go back and erase a perfect checkbox if he's already done it for me? That helps them begin to see that Jesus is, is enough. Jesus as their substitute. By the way, the concept of Jesus as substitute completely foreign to Mormons. I know that's just mind-blowing to biblical Christians because we say, like, that's the core, that's the center. We think about how many passages over and over again say, he did this for us, for you, right? Just over over again, go to those passages, emphasize them, help them to see Jesus as substitute. But again, be patient with that concept because it'll be mind-blowing for them. They've never heard it before. They only know Jesus' example. 
I'm Todd Wilkin. You're connected to Issues Etc. We're discussing witnessing to Mormons with Pastor John Leach. He's president of Truth and Love Ministry based in Napa, Idaho. Truth and Love has produced a new booklet called A Biblical Response to Mormonism. You can receive a pack of 20 of these booklets for less than $13. Order online at cph.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House, 1-800-325-3040, and ask for A Biblical Response to Mormonism. On the other side, how is it so hard to leave Mormonism? Was the reformer Martin Luther innovating or in error when he added the word alone to Romans 3.28, for we hold that one is justified by faith alone, apart from works of the law? Find out in Pastor Will Whedon's column in the latest Issues Etc. journal. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. Donna Harrison details her journey to confessional Lutheranism from Catholicism, Scientism, Mysticism, and Evangelicalism. The free online Issues Etc. journal. Just click the red journal subscription button at issuesetc.org. I'm Chaplain Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Congregations work hard to keep the Word of Christ dwelling richly in His disciples now and into eternal life. We work to help and support that effort. Learn more at lcms.org worship. You'll find resources on the church here, Bible studies on the hymns of the day, audio helps for learning to sing our services, and look for worship planning resources to find the latest from LCMS Worship. That's lcms.org worship. May the word of Christ dwell richly in you. Defending the faith, teaching the truth. You're listening to Issues Etc. Many educational institutions are governed by the whims of culture and are increasingly hostile to the Word of God. In contrast, Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, provides classical Lutheran education rooted in God's Word for students preschool through grade 12. Simply put, we equip students to stand firm in the faith through solid education focused on wisdom and virtue. We offer in-person instruction as well as live online classes for remote learning. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about witnessing to Mormons. Pastor John Leach of Truth and Love Ministry is our guest. John, how hard is it to leave Mormonism? We talked a little bit about the dynamics with a spouse. There's also dynamics involving children. There's dynamics involving extended family. Uh, I think about the way in which uh, you, you can literally be potentially cut off or shunned by your family. And to be fair, they love their family, but those who still remain true believing Mormons will now see someone who has left as a threat to their own testimony, to their own faith. And so they keep distance and they're sometimes reluctant to have any spiritual conversations. People who've left Mormonism will say to other biblical Christians, I can't always reach my family members. I'll go and reach other Mormons, but I can't reach my family members and I need your help to help me reach out to them because there's a wall between us uh, that they won't listen to me on, on those conversations. Some of the other things are, are navigating freedoms. Like 
everything in Mormonism is black and white because it's all legalism. They try to make it as clear as possible. They have rules, a word of wisdom. You can't drink coffee or tea, you know, tobacco or alcohol. And so as a result, everything is dictated. How you spend your time, they keep them so busy so that they never really have time to question or doubt or think things through. And then when they leave, they to try and navigate freedom, sometimes they see people who've left go like headlong into, well, rebelliousness, reckless living. And it's, it's almost like if a prison door has been sprung open, they run from one prison cell right across the hall into another, but now one, one of slavery to sin. And so it, that landscape is very difficult for them. There is a lot to unravel with Mormonism. I, I might just encourage patience. Like they may understand one concept as you're having conversations with them, but they may have any number of other things that are going to need to be unraveled. And sometimes people report, sometimes it's, it's rather quick, but others will, will talk about it took me years. And I still have questions sometimes if I'm seeing or hearing things with previous LDS ears or, or now with new biblical Christian eyes. Tell us just a kind of a story, an example of someone who found their way out. Yeah. So there's a gal named Janae. Janae, she struggled to be perfect as she was young, but she tried to be a real good Mormon. Janae got involved in some of her early teen years in a rebellious group. Long story short, she finds herself with teenage pregnancy. And you can imagine in the LDS church why this was a huge mistake. And Janae is told by her parents, repeatedly by her church leaders, that the only way she can be forgiven by God is if she gives her baby to a Mormon family to adopt. She is not worthy of her own baby. But an LDS family who is worthy is. This is everything she had ever been taught and told. So she just thought, well, I guess this is the way. She carries her, her daughter to term. And uh, in the delivery room, she, uh, well, you guys can picture the story, right? She sees her, her daughter and the bonding. And she says, I'm not giving this baby away. And they said, well, you haven't prepared anything. You don't have diapers. You don't have a car seat. And she said, well, you better find some because I'm going home with my baby. Well, it was a struggle. And the pressure was on over and over again. And finally, after fifth day, she relinquished her child into the hands of an adoptive LDS couple. She did it to try to be forgiven by God. But in that moment, she describes she was so angry at God. She hated him. If God would make her do something like this, she didn't want to have anything to do with him. And she did. She went into all kinds of rebellion, even matters of the occult for a while. She realized that was darkness. But because of family, later gets married and she has a, another child. She's keeping this one. She doesn't really get attached to the LDS church, but her daughter starts going and her daughter starts saying things that praise to the man is one of their hymns. Just wait, what? It's praising Joseph Smith, their prophet. Things that really disturb her. And she starts taking her daughter out, but now they're not really connected. Along their way, there are Christian friends who support and encourage her. And 
One time, um, someone gave her a couple of books uh, called a Book of Hope. It's basically a compilation of the Gospels. It's uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, just put in chronological order, but the texts themselves. And uh, ah, she said, ah, not really, not for me. But but she's working at the time for a Christian family, and so uh, she goes to clean the house and tells the woman, uh, "Hey, you know, you're a Christian. You you might." Like these, it's scripture. I shouldn't throw it away. And the Christian woman, a friend, said, "I'll take one, as long as you take one and read it." And so she takes it home, puts it on her nightstand, and collects dust, gets into a pile of other books. But in a moment of darkness, she pulls it out, and she reads in the opening page, "Because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, there is always hope." And she just starts reading. And the spirit is just dropping the lenses and she's discovering a Jesus she has never heard or seen before. Right? John 1, 1 floors her. Wait, Jesus is God from all eternity? On and on it went. At one point, she found out her, her friend is having a, a Bible study. And she asked, can I join? Over time, Janae continues to discover more and more. She's still in, in Bible study, but Janae now knows biblical grace. And around the same time, God connects Janae with her daughter, now adult, who was adopted. And Janae is growing in relationship both with Jesus and with her daughter. There are stories like that that I think are so compelling. The Apostle Paul described his story of conversion. And, and he often did it to say, look, look at what God did for me. We've got a, a new arm of ministry that we're raising up called Jesus is Enough. It's going to tell the stories of people who have left Mormonism and discovered hope in Jesus. It's going to have opportunities for, for them to say, that's exactly how I feel. This person's been on this journey. And they found hope on the other end so often. We find, oh, the, the door right now is so wide. So many people are leaving Mormonism. And as many as 70% go atheists. It's such a critical time for us to reach. They can dig in, Bible study, learn more. Uh, one of the things, I, I just want to create some, some encouragement among Christian listeners, mission-minded folks to say, we believe this is going to reach hundreds of thousands of souls. And I, I can tell you, my team is not going to be able to keep up. And so if, if there are folks who say, I'd like to maybe learn more and maybe even get involved, we're going to need some folks who are mentors who just say, if there's someone who's leaving Mormonism and they say, will you teach me the true Jesus? Like low hanging fruit, right? How exciting would that be? To be able to walk with someone on that journey and point to the hope that we have. They want to learn. They want to know. And you can be that patient friend, walk through them every step of the way. The new initiative, it launches uh, Jesus is Enough, going to be a docu-series video segment as, as well as many other facets, jesusisenough.org. But right now hasn't launched. That comes in January 2024. Folks can learn more on our website with Truth and Love Ministry at tilm.org slash J-I-E for Jesus is Enough. Folks, you'll find a link to Jesus is Enough and to Truth and Love Ministry on the Talk on Demand archives page at issuesetc.org. Pastor John Leach is president of Truth and Love Ministry based in Nampa, Idaho. Truth and Love has produced a new booklet, 
called A Biblical Response to Mormonism. John, thanks. Thank you, Tad. Thursday on Issues Etc., we'll discuss the Arian heresy of denying Jesus divinity with Dr. Brian Gothier. We'll continue our series, Kids Have Questions, with Pastor Jonathan Connor, and we'll respond to your email, talkback at issuesetc.org, and the Issues Etc. comment line 618-223-8382. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.